This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Peter Panagor. Peter is an international Audible best-selling author. He has appeared on TV and radio thousands of times. He is also a two-time near-death experiencer who I've had on the program before. And today he returns to talk about his UFO experiences. Peter, thanks for joining us today and welcome back. Uh, it's a pleasure, Jeff. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's like seeing an old friend again because it's been, I don't know, nine months, six months, a year since we saw each other last time. Yes. Uh, well, I see your face with other videos that you produce, mm -hmm. but not in person. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you said that because Peter has a Facebook page that he graciously lets me post my videos there. And... um it's something near. Tell us what your face. Uh, it's a uh, uh, <laughs> uh, what's it called? It's called the near death video, near death experience video channel. Is it the one that if you search it, it has like the picture is like a person looking down, right? Yes. And it's very space oriented, like right, lots of right. light and cosmically appearing. There you go. If you're looking for a near death Facebook group to join, then check out Peter's. Well, thank you. It's, it's, I encourage all sorts of people to post their near-death experience videos there. Mm -hmm. So it's primarily a location on Facebook to find testimonies, mm -hmm. stories mm -hmm. of near-death experience. All right. Speaking of testimonies, tell us what happened with your UFO experiences. Okay. So this was before my near-death experience. I was a camp, a camp counselor at a summer camp, a Catholic summer camp in Perrysburg, Ohio, which is outside of this city called Maumee. And there's a Maumee River that runs just behind the camp. And I, I had my Boy Scout merit badge and riflery. And so I was the only one who knew how to shoot. So I got to be the rifle instructor that summer. And so I ran a very tight ship at the rifle range. And that meant that the camp director trusted me which was great because, you know, I was keeping kids from getting killed, shooting each other. So because of that, I asked the camp director, could I borrow the camp Ford LTD bench seated car and take five of us to go to the roller rink, which we did with a plan. The next week when we went to the roller rink, we didn't, we went to the pack, the, we call it package stores where I live, but mm -hmm. uh, where you buy beer, we bought uh, some Stroh's Bohemian 2.3 beer or something like that. And, and we drove off to go drink and smoke weed. And so we drove up to this hilltop on a overlooking the Maumee river, which was it looked like it was human constructed because this, this whole state is flat. So there's this one hill and we drive up its park, it's basketball courts and it's, we're sitting up there. They got three guys in the back seat. And I don't really know these guys because we're all we're all new to each other. We're summer camp counselors. We're getting to know each other. And so I had a buddy in the front seat with me, and I had a cassette deck with me with Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young because I remember what was going on. And um, we had a, a little uh, some 
cannabis with us and a pipe and and we're sitting up there in the dark and the guy i hear a beer pop you know behind me and then i'm like i'm gonna light the pipe up and and we roll the windows down and it's i had the like like the pipe up to my mouth and suddenly the entire parking lot was illuminated just like bright white light and we're like i'm like Uh i'm like boys we are busted and everybody's like (gasps) and so i uh, what do we do what do we do i said all right put your stuff down um and let's just get out of the cars and give ourselves up it's the cops we're, you know we're in trouble so we all get out of the car slowly we're like get out of the car slowly and we all stand up we all look behind the car and there's nobody behind us and but the entire place is completely illuminated like we can see like daylight and weirdly there are no crickets sounding now it's mm. perfectly silent and we all sort of look up together and overhead is a huge white light just above treetop, like maybe 40 feet in the air over us. And it is so big. We're like, oh, my head is craned back. And in order to see the edge of this thing, and I, I don't even know what I'm looking at at the moment. I'm like, what? We're like, what is this thing? And I'm 18 years old. I just graduated high school. And I look down and I bring my vision down from here. I'm like, way, I'm looking way out to the horizon before I can see the starlight. There was a big, round, huge, silent white disc perfectly still over us, making no noise at all. And we're astounded. We're, ju- we're, we're jumping up and down. Like, what is this? Look at this thing. And, and then slowly, it just starts to move. It just starts to move. We can see it on the edge of it because you can't see the white light moving over us because it's just bright white light, but you can see the edge of it. It starts to go away. So it just starts to drift off like a, like a silent balloon, but it's, but it's staying steady at the same height. So back in the car, back in the car, really back in the car, get back in the car, slam the doors. I back the car up. I, we go down this twisty, the only twisty road in the whole area because it's on this hill as we twist down this road i'm like throw out all the beer throw out all the weed the pipe goes out the window we're like we're going after this thing and so we we turn the corner and 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 now it's it's sort of waited for us and so now it's it's about i don't know hard to estimate because it was so big maybe a quarter mile ahead of us if that not even that and and it's moving parallel to the road over the cornfields over the soy fields over the trees in between and we're flying and every, all the guys are hanging up. I'm driving and I'm hanging out the window trying to get a better look at this thing. Everybody's outside sitting up on the car. And the, the road is flat and straight and it goes right through the camp, right through the middle of the camp. And so we, cause it's actually a school and the rest of the year, it's a Catholic school. So we go blowing through the middle of camp and I'm like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. We're doing 90 through the middle of camp. And, um, but I wasn't going to stop. So we followed this thing. It, we've probably followed it on this road for, I don't know, eight or nine miles going as fast as the car would go. And at one point I remember the guys were like, they could go so much faster. They must be playing with us. Do you think it's a bunch of teenage guys up there <laughs> from another planet kind of toying with us? And um, we're making up stories and, so we're doing about 90. We're about three miles past camp. We're doing about 90 and the river is to our right. And there's one bridge and the bridge goes to Maumee, the, the, the town, the city. And when we were 
behind this thing and it made a right angle turn. It turned at 90 degrees doing 90 miles an hour and never decelerated. There was no arc. There was just a turn. And and I should say this thing was, uh, was silent. It could stay still and there was no visible means of propulsion. It was just a white disc. And it made this right hand angle turn that was going 90 here. And then it was going 90 there. It was just like that. And it never stopped. My fingers stop in the middle because I've got to change direction. It never stopped. And we're like, whoosh, what? So I slam on the brakes and there's a cornfield to my left and, a, and an embankment. Like a, it, the cornfield is set below the road. And so I slam the wheel to the left and we go down the embankment. It's not a big embankment. It's a couple of maybe three feet, four feet. We go down this thing through this poor farmer's corn which was like knee high. And we do this long cause we're doing like 90. And so I had hit the brakes. Okay. I wasn't crazy, but we were still going fast and I floored it. And as, we, and I made this huge fish tail turn, knocking down the corn kind of sideways. My heart's pounding. It's like, we're going to get stuck. We're going to get stuck. We're going to get stuck. And so I have a totally floored and we go up, we now re-angle ourselves toward the road, toward the bridge, toward the town, and we go up off of the embankment, boom, and we in you know, a little airborne, we land and and now we're we're poured down this road and it's overhang. This road has lots of trees overhung over it, unlike where we just were. And about a half a mile ahead of us, it was sitting right above treetop level just sitting there. And so we were flying down the road and everybody's hanging out the windows. And as soon as, and I'm me too, again, I'm, I'm like driving like this, looking out the window. And I don't know how close we were to it. Pretty, pretty close, close enough that, that it suddenly, I could see it. It suddenly went from this perfect standstill and it left a streak of light. And it was right through the top of the atmosphere. I slammed to the brain. We're like, what? We're sort of underneath it as it goes off. And it's just this long streak of light. It was moving so fast that it was like left light behind it. I, I don't know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was it. We stopped the car. We're, we get out of the car. We're like, what's going on? And um, we've then one of the guys looks down into the car and there's a like corn stalks sticking out of the, frame of the car so mm-hmm. we pull the car off to the side we pull off all these corn stalks and we you know we kind of clean up the car and stuff and we hung around there for a while we just kind of sat on the side of the road talking it over and talking it over and and then we drove back to camp and, and on the way back to camp we swore each other to secrecy because a we were out drinking and, and we had cannabis and b we we're speeding through camp and c we lied to the camp director and d we saw a ufo and nobody's going to believe us mm-hmm. And so we kept that secret. And, and then um, a few years ago, I was in, uh, I was in Washington, D.C., uh, giving an opening prayer at the National Press Club. And so I, I give this prayer at the National Press Club and for a group. And in the other room is one of the astronauts. And he's there that day, a NASA astronaut, moonshot astronauts, might have been Alden. I have to look up. I don't remember which guy it was. And he's giving a talk on UFOs. And I'm like, oh, well, this is interesting. I kept it a secret. And then when the US Navy came out three or four years ago with the Google, with the, you know, with the, with the, with the 
the video that you can Google to see for yourself mm-hmm. of the Hornets uh, off of San Diego video. Tac UFO. Yes. Uh, at that point, I, I was like, okay. I can finally tell my story. I can finally not be, you know, tinfoil hat guy. And so I, I recorded a video of it and in the video, it's on my YouTube channel. And in the video of it, I say, I lost touch with these guys. I I don't know. You know, about three years later, I get this really strange phone call. It's and and I don't know this woman. She's like, hello, is this Peter Panagor? I'm like, yes. Who's this? And she's like, well, I don't want to tell you my name. But I was, uh, I was looking on your YouTube channel. I was looking up UFOs in Perrysburg, Ohio. I was like, why are you looking up? And that's what I titled it, like UFO Perrysburg, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And um, she's like, I'm like, why are you looking up UFOs in Perrysburg, Ohio? She said, well, I have a reason to do that. But I want to ask you a question. Um, I saw your video. Um, you say you don't know who these guys were, but, but I do. And so three or four phone calls into it. Um, I finally connect with these guys and I, I connected with two of these guys who turned out to be buddies and they still, they're still connected uh, to the divine word camp. That was the name of the camp. And, uh, and so it was really great. It turns out that she also was there that summer. Um, I don't, I don't really don't remember her. She must've been working in the kitchen, but, mm-hmm. but that's kind of, that's what happened. And so from that day forward, that day in 1977 forward, um, I, I didn't believe in UFOs. I, I chased one. I saw one. It was real, a real thing for me. And it, it shifted my, my thinking about what's a human being in the midst of the universe? What is, are we alone? No, we are not alone. We are not alone. And there's technology that I, I can't comprehend how it works. No visible means of propulsion, right angle turns at high speed from a standstill to faster than the speed of light. It looked like, um, I, things I couldn't explain, but it made me understand that human beings are wrong to think we are alone. Mm-hmm. It's very, uh, ethno, uh, ethnocentric. Is that right? No, uh, athrocentric, athrocentric, A-R-T-H. Um, we're very human centric. We're very blind. And then the whole idea of the book of Genesis, that creation story, which is, you know, dominant in the United States, that kind of creation story that humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation just seems like BS to me. I mean, it seemed like a BS to me then. And now I totally know that it is. But um, at the time I was like, well, we can't do these things. What makes us so great? So that's the first story that I wanted to tell you. And then um, we had talked earlier when we were chatting, uh, you, you asked me if I had two stories and I, I do sort of, but the second story, I, I was a lucid dream. And as a lucid dream, I, it wasn't in physical reality like this other one was. It was a dream that I had. And so I don't know whether it's real or not. There's no way for me to corroborate it because I'll tell you the story and you'll understand why. So in this lucid dream, I'm suddenly, I'm suddenly on the floor of uh, a spacecraft and I'm shoulder to shoulder in the middle of this, this floor with um, all of my neighborhood friends and my sister is right next to me. We're all lying on the floor and we can't move. None of us can move. We're not frightened. We're, we're just immobile and maybe 12 or 13 of us there 
of all different ages. We're all lying there on the floor and there's some very tall people and they're dressed in white, look like jumpsuits and they're, they're, they look human and, um, but they're very tall and we are, it's, it's illuminated. The whole thing is very clean. It's, I don't know how to describe it. It's very clean and bright. And, and I realize that I'm in a spacecraft. I know that I'm in a spacecraft. I know that I'm with my friends and my sister. And then she grabs this thing and she walks this, there's like two males and a female. And this female says to us telepathically, I don't think she spoke. She takes this device and she waves it over all of us. And as she says, she says, um, you won't remember any of this. And the dream ends. Hmm. She gets to me and it's like over. <laughs> so that's, was that, you know, did we, did we, did that really happen? I, I don't know. I, I know I chased a UFO. Okay. I know that for a fact that this other thing happened. I, I don't know. I, I can only assume or guess all of this, Jeff, all of this, when I think about um, theology, because I have, you know, I have the, I, I was a clergy person for a long time. And I, I, I want to let your guests know, as I was about to say this, that my first near-death experience eliminated all religion and culture, all belief systems from me. I came back. I, I worked in religion, but I am not religious. I, I live in the land of no land, of no thing, of my interior life is very different. But I worked in religion and I studied theology. And the the whole idea of the origin of the universe and the specialness of humanity and the particular value of earth just seems ludicrous to me. It, it, it's ludicrous. The NASA, NASA and uh, the, the Hubble telescope and soon the James Webb telescope, we know how many habitable planets there are. So, well, no, let me rephrase that. We know that there are many habitable planets, planets that we think are habitable, in addition to the thousands of other planets that we've seen around other star systems. Um, this is such a big thing, and we are very small. Mm-hmm. I think that if we're able to survive this 21st century, when um, when I say that is uh, uh, given all the cataclysms and the global war- uh, climate change and all these things that are going on, um, I'm hoping that friendly aliens reveal themselves to us. I mean, in a big way. I mean, it's, it's already coming out over and over and again. Uh, apparently, the, the U.S. fleet in the Atlantic has been uh, chased for weeks on end, uh, observed for weeks, weeks on end. So when this becomes revealed to the general public, I, I think it's going to do a lot of shattering of the stories we've been telling ourselves about who we are as humanity. Mm -hmm. And maybe we'll get a better view of what it is to be a human being on earth. Maybe we'll actually understand that we are one planet. And our D although we have our DNA is predominantly homo sapien. You know, some people's got some people have Neanderthal, some people got some Denovosian. So we've got some variation that alone is not biblical, Um, but we've got some variation in our DNA, but maybe we can find out that we're not, that our tribe is earth. We are earth humans. We're human beings. And I guess the last thing I want to say is, is as I think about all of this, I think about what product on earth, because I think of Star Trek, you know, or mm-hmm. uh, what product on earth could be valuable besides water and air? I think it's coffee. 
So I think that we're going to be the only planet that has coffee and everybody's going to be like, hey, have you checked out Earth Cafe? It's like they've got this drink there. I always thought that it was gold. Oh, it could be gold, but it could be gold. From what I've read, alien civilizations came here to mine gold. And what's fascinating to think about is gold is Hmm. very dense. So all the gold that we find on this planet actually has come um, like from meteorites and stuff, because when the earth is being formed and it's all liquid, gold is so dense that it would sink too far below the surface. Oh, because it's a heavy, very heavy element. So what you're finding here is, you know, stuff that landed here later. I didn't know that that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. But that just shows the interplanet, the, the interactions of our planet with the solar system. It's mm-hmm. always been going on. Mm-hmm. Now, I've had quite a few guests that during their NDEs either saw aliens or went to other planets or saw even maybe a whole multitude of aliens out in the astral, kind of like being at the bar in Star Wars. Since you've had an NDE, what do you think about that? I think that the divine gives every single person what they need in their NDE and shows them up portion of the truth none of us come back none of us see the whole truth because of infinity it's too big uh i think that the the divine gives everyone the experience that they need and so why not go to another planet if you're out of your body why not why would there not be other souls from other realms other planets i mean that's are we the only people with soul i mean that's that's part of the that the legacy of the western church is that only human beings have souls yeah. uh, that is what well, just we my dog my dog comes to visit me my dog's dead uh, my dog had some kind of soul why just us and i didn't see any of that when i died jeff i i went to a place of non-being of uh, i've been reclaiming this word nothing from my early days when I was thinking about it because it scared people when I would say there was no thing there. I went to a place of no thingness and I didn't get to experience other planets or other beings. I only got to experience the divine presence itself and it left holes in my knowledge. Like I've never been to another planet. Sure dig that. Yeah. I think I've even getting as far as people going to other planets and realizing they were there before they came here. They've got other families there. I've had one lady who was visiting either with Jesus or God and said, okay, you've got to go back now. And then, and she thought she was going back and she was on a spaceship with aliens and then looking around and she described it all. And then I think they told her, you've got to go back. And then she was back. You know, they're like, what are you doing here? What are you, yeah. you hitching a ride? You're, um. Exactly. Something like that. Um, yeah. I think that it's much bigger than we have even any idea that it is. And it's a whole lot more complex. I, I don't, when I was dead that first time, I could see that I had many other lives and when I was dead, I could see into them, but I can't see into them now as a, I have a blind spot. But I, what I remember is that they weren't all earth. Were they other dimensions or other worlds? I can't really recall, but I know that they weren't all Earth. Mm. It's, it's a big place out there. What I like is some of the UFO community is going in the direction of the way the ships have to travel is interdimensionally 
almost like how in an NDE, you can travel by thought instantaneously. You think about something and you're there. I've read about that. I've, I've read about that. I don't, I don't know only because that's a, that's outside my knowledge, but also it, it intersects directly with science. And so that has to do with the technology to develop, to understand the physics. First you have to understand the physics and then you have to develop the technology. It's possible. I mean, there was a the latest iteration of Star Trek. I don't know if you had their their latest. I haven't watched it yet. I want to. So then they have this new device, and I I can't remember the name of it, but it's based in spores. It's powered by spores, and uh, it interfaces with a person in a room. But but it the ship doesn't shoot off. It it flips over and flips over and flips over, and then by by pre-programming the coordinates of where they want it to go, that's an instantaneous, like they're, they're on this side of the universe and now they're on that side of the universe. Boom, boom. Wow. That's amazing. I need to check that out because that's almost maybe yes. what's getting closer to what's really going on is if they're kind of slowly leaking information to us. Well, you know, NASA has been looking at warp drive and warp bubbles because of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And subspace, and now of course we know that uh, superpositioning is real, and we know that quantum entanglement is real. We know that there are other. We know for a fact, measurable in science, repeatable in in our experiments, that there is another dimension that we have no idea what it is, and it, it's probably not the only one. Are you familiar with the statement from? It's either a retired or an Israeli general about space and about the Galactic Federation. I am I, not closely familiar but i read about it in the news when it popped up so it's interesting that now it seems like more and more people are talking about a galactic federation and what i found most interesting about it what he's saying was that space is not what you think it is that sounds just like what i say about god right it's not what you think it is wow Since you're a member of the clergy, maybe we can talk about this. I had a guest on previously that we talked about that the Vatican or someone within the Vatican made an official statement that UFOs or aliens are in the Bible. Do you oh, know I don't about know that? that. I don't know about that, but I do know that the Vatican has long had its own as- astronomy branch. I don't know if, if, if your audience is familiar that they have major physics research and have for a long time, mm-hmm. especially a- especially astronomical. I I have... Well, obviously, I've studied the Bible. I, there are places in the Bible where one could interpret what was going on, especially like in the wheel within the wheel uh, and the chariot lifting up. Uh, I don't remember, Elisha, I think it was. I'd have to look that up. But yeah, there, it's possible. Mm-hmm. And that the Vatican says so, well, that'd be really cool if it actually was. I mean, we've there's been a lot of interpretations around that and not knowledge, but there is this one scene where someone is lifted up in a craft. That's uh, they call it, it's a chariot. They call it. They're in a chariot that flies. That's made out of flames. I, I think it's Elisha, but I'd have to look it up. Mm. So yeah, why not? What is your opinion of consciousness? Do you feel like your consciousness is separate from your body and your consciousness oh, yeah. leaves, or do you think that your body in this realm is a manifestation of your consciousness? Why does it have to be either one or the other? Um, it's, it, it's both, it's, it seems to me to be both of those things and, and another level too. And the other level is, is that my body, when my consciousness left my body, 
I, when I was dead, I've been, I've been, I've been out of my body at other times. So I exclude that from this talk because when I was dead, I had no, my, my consciousness had no connection to my body and my body didn't vanish. I've been around a lot of dead bodies in my life because of my work. Um, I buried a lot of dead bodies. I think that the projection is is not so much the physical projection of it as the there's this like an interface with the brain. So when I was dead, I was consciousness, and I when I, I describe it metaphorically as being an orb of consciousness, the an energetic orb of consciousness with no physicality. I was no thing. My seeing and my thinking were one thing, and there was no language in the way of my thoughts. I was. I, I was an energetic ball of consciousness, but that's just a metaphor. And when I came back into my body again, there's somehow an interface and there's, there was a reduction of my consciousness in order to fit inside my body. I had to get much smaller. Like I had to be wearing clothes that were way too small for me. I uh, just squeezed inside this body. And now once I'm inside this body, there's somehow an interface between my soul, which I still experience every day. I'm never, I'm never, I am never separate from my sense that I am looking through my eyeballs. I'm looking through my eyeballs. I'm hearing through my ears. I'm, I'm above in the cloud living simultaneously in the cloud and inside my body, but my body, my brain defines my world here. And so I don't I don't project out um, the colors that my that the cones of my eyes see the wavelengths that my eyes see uh, because of the structure of my eye I see the limitations of the of what my physicality has so I I interact with it I interact with this thing but I also project into this thing this body I project this my consciousness and it projects out of me it comes outside of my my physical body. So I think that on a much larger scale, on, a, on, a, on a, an astronomical scale, on a universal scale, that, that, that all matter, including um, energy, photons, uh, quarks, um, all, the, all, all, the, all the particles and not particles that, are, that uh, so far we're able to figure out it so far, that they construct the entire universe are all a projection of the divine. All of it is a projection of the divine. And, and so it has, the physicality of it exists whether I'm here or not, because it, it has this, this understructure that is projecting it into existence. But there's this level of interface too. Um, and this interface is, um, well, it's heaven here now. It's the experience of, of my soul. It's, the, um, it's love when you meet it. It's, it's, humanity's compassion it's all these all the good things where it comes out um, in terms of human beings is where the divine projects through us and so there's an interface of the divine itself projecting into the world this more pure higher level of its own being and also how that that comes through human beings and how we project that out into the world so there's a there's an interface and an incarnation and I'm incarnated. I live in this thing and it's more like a rental unit to me. Um, when I'm done with it, I'm going to move on. I'm going to go back home again, um, you know, to Mount Olympus, whatever you want to call it, to the, to the height of the gods, um, where 
there is no physicality. At least that's what I experienced was no physicality. Mm-hmm. But maybe, who knows, maybe I'll end up in some sort of astral plane somewhere. I, I, I only went so far. I notice you use the word divine. I do. You don't use the word God. Not much. Why is that? Um, patriarchalism, primarily, preconceptions. Um, I, I, use, I use the word beloved a lot, but that's much more personal. Uh, I've tried the word source. I use that. I, I use Brahma sometimes or Atman, um, Allah, which just means God. Um, God comes with a lot of baggage in our culture. Mm. I've encountered it uh, a lot. When people hear God, they hear abuser, they hear patriarch, they hear oppression or slavery, or they hear all these human things that we've projected. They hear, they hear maleness, all these human things that we've projected on it. I do use the word God. I almost never use the word Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's rare for me to use that word. Um, Sometimes I use God, but I aim, I aim toward the word divine because it's a little slippier, more slippery in the uh, in, in the American, I want to say zeitgeist, I guess that's the right word I want to use, um, it, in the consciousness of America. Because that's primarily where my audience has been uh, up here in New England. Mm-hmm. It's been New England, and now it's the United States and, and the English-speaking world primarily. Um I try not to offend women with that word. I don't remember all the details of your NDEs, so please remind me. Did you experience the divine during your NDE? I did. I, I went into a, a state of, of unity. I went into this oneness place um, where where I experienced and I, I, I summarize it in the word love, but it's, it, it's infinite love. It's love was, is, and always will be all as well. It was beauty and joy, adoration, bliss, paradise, understanding, knowledge, intelligence, acceptance, welcome, uh, awe, all these things and more goodness, charity, compassion, all as one thing. I have all these different words to describe this one thing. And the word I pick for that is love, but it's so much more than that. And I had no self there. I, 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 I was, I still had, Peter was gone. I was my soul self, which was the same as the divine self in, in its essence. Um, I was a photon of one photon of a quadrillion zillion Googleplex of, of, of photons that was the, the infinite divine self. I was made of the same substance of, of creator, but creator blew me into being, spoke me into being, created me through, through self-limitation, created this limited form of itself, which was me, much, much, much smaller. Um, but I had, I, I know, I know as I live this life that I am not my body. I am not myself and that my soul has, my soul is divine. My soul is of the origin of the light itself. It's just like everybody else is. Uh, everybody has this inside them. It's the core of our being. It, most people have no idea or can't see it. Um, and seeing it here is, I'm as well as I see it here and I see it, pretty well as a human goes 
when I was dead, I, there was so much more vision of it, so much more understanding of it. So I went to a, a place of unity, a place of where I was still somehow paradoxically less than, but also fully immersed in. I, I saw that the divine had no religion, had no gender, had no, was no thing. That's really no thingness. And I was no thing, no concept, no language, no separation. Hard to describe. So would you say that we are the divine or we, or we have a piece of the divine in us? I would say still, both. And there's still some separation. Both of those things. They're not, there is separation. There's limitation. Even a, our, our, our soul is both things at once, but because it's, it, it leans toward the limited factor from our perspective, because we are, because we have, even as a soul, even as a soul inside of the unity, I, I had, I didn't reach the infinity. I didn't reach the total obliteration of self. I could see that it was there, but it didn't happen to me, uh, where there was completely only the unit of state and uh, no separation there. I have had that experience and like a Kundalini experience while in my body, but not in the divine infinity. And, and so, yes, to both of those things, I, I am of the divine. I am made from infinity. I am a reduction of infinity. I'm a reduction of unlimitedness. And as a reduction of unlimitedness, I have some, and this is a hard word for people, corruption, um, but that don't mean negative corruption. I have some some crassness to me, some crudeness to me, some less thanness to me, and as the whole world does. But it, even so, as I experience this, it feels like a two dimensional black and white world to me. Even though I, even as I experience this, I still have this this cord, this cord of connectedness that shows me myself who I am. I, I, I know that I am creature made by creator, but I also know that I am of the same substance of creator. I wouldn't have existence without it. I can't have existence without it. It is inside me. And so when I, when people talk about their life reviews and uh, the Akashic records or the, the book of life and you, why, how how does the divine know your experience? Is there a scribe, an angel with a quill pen sitting there in an old-time desk with a lamp writing these? No. The divine actually experiences life with everyone. Everyone, the divine is in, it's like we're all these little eyeballs of God. And, 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 and God sees and feels and knows and understands every moment of every life, not just you and me, but, you know, Jesus is talking about the sparrow in the field. We could talk about the alien on the other planet. We could, every, every, we could talk about the tree or the rock or, or the water, all of it, the, the sun, the moon, all of it is imbued by the, by the intelligence of the divine that, ex, that experiences through the senses 
of the person, of the of the animal, of the sentient being, of the tree, of the fish, uh, the experience of what that is to be that fish. And, and that's it's not like a recorded, it's experienced. And that knowledge of that experience is essence of the divine. It knows all things. When, you know, omniscient, om- omnipresent, knowing all things, that means in every single moment, experiencing absolutely everything going on. And that's what my life review is like, mm-hmm. is that it wasn't so much that, you know, God recorded from a distance. God experienced all of this my whole life from the inside out. And in my life review, experienced from the inside out everybody's life who I was then empathetically shoved inside of to experience all the pain that I had given to them in their life experience. And I went through a judgment. I went through a judgment. The divine did not judge me. I judged myself. I judged myself in comparison to infinite love. Uh, And so am I a projection? That feels like a projection. Here it does. But it also, I know that I inhabit. So both things. There's this guy named Rudolf Schild. And Rudolf Schild is a retired professor Mm. uh, from the Harvard Smithsonian uh, uh, Lab for Astrophysics. Is that the name of it? Mm. Um, in, in, In any case. I have this friend and this friend was a meteorologist and I was in television. So I had this friend who's a meteorologist and I'm in television and we had this conversation. And in this conversation, I say to my friend, uh, Tom, I think that, I think that astrophysicists are the theologians of the 21st century because they're asking the unadorned question of why are we here? How are we here? And so my friend, Tom, he ended up talking to Rudolf Schild and Rudolf's like, I got to talk to this guy. So I got invited down to Cambridge and I spent five hours in this guy's kitchen and, and he's, he's pretty, he's renowned. He's, he's done some very excellent astrophysics and I'm in his kitchen. We spent five hours, Tom and me and Rudy in his kitchen. We have lunch, we have coffee, we have lunch, we have coffee again. And then we have a glass of wine. So it's five hours of conversation in the middle of this conversation. He says, I want to talk to you, Peter, because I think that there's some sort of interaction between UFOs and near-death experiencers. I've been finding that, that there are some UFO experiencers who have also had NDEs, and I'm just interested in this overlap. And he invited me to a weekend. I couldn't make it. I had some other duty that I couldn't, I couldn't go to it. But apparently there's four or five of these astrophysicists who have these conversations. They go to another place, and they, they talk about this stuff. And one of the things he told me at this meeting was that there are astrophysicists who have reached the computation, the mathematical computational conclusion that a divine mover exists. They don't define what it is. They don't get into theology or definitions. They're like, the math shows this. The math shows a prime mover. So he's saying that A, there's that thing, and B, that there's some sort of interaction between near-death experiencers and UFOs. And he said that people, lots of people who have experienced UFOs, well, I don't know about lots, a number of people who have experienced UFOs have also had near-death experiences. I'm, that, I'm one of those people. Um, why? I don't really know. There's a lot of things I don't know, and that's one of them. But I wanted to bring that up because yeah, there's an intersection. 
Yeah, that is. I appreciate you bringing that up. And I'm surprised to hear someone in astrophysics even accept the idea of UFOs, because I would think that most of them are just kind of like, well, unless you show me the evidence, they don't exist. Well, uh, that's probably true. Um, most scientists are like that. But there's in, in a court of law, you can convict somebody if you have enough circumstantial evidence. Mm. You have to have a lot beyond a reasonable doubt, but you can do that. You don't have to have the gun. You know, you don't have to have the body. You can, and I think that there's, there's a, there's room for that in science. You get enough accumulated public health. Public health is a kind of science where epidemiology, when you're studying epidemiology, you you gather data and you reach conclusions. It's a kind of science. And I think that's kind of what Rudy's doing. He's, he's looking around and seeing all this evidence. There's evidence all over the place. Uh, and then he's reading all this evidence and he's drawing conclusions. He, he doesn't know that they're there. He can't prove that they're there in a scientific sense, but he's at the level of theory. Uh, it's beyond hypothesis. It's, there's so much evidence that there's got to be something here. Um, and he knows people like me. Yeah. What do you think about that show, Ancient Aliens? I don't know if you've watched it, but... Oh, yeah, of course I have. Of course you have. All right. Well, I mean, I mean... I don't know. I'm not an archaeologist, but it does... Some of the stuff that they show does look like, you know, how could that have been built by men thousands uh, yeah. of years ago with, with just, you know, a copper or a bronze tool? Yes. I, I think that there's a lot of open questions. And my favorite, my favorite thing is the, those big, huge drawings down in South Africa. Uh, pardon me, South America. Those, you know, that are, that are you know, half a mile long of, of animals. Oh, yeah. You, you, can't, you can't even, as, a, 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 as an artist, you can't even see the whole job. I mean, you can only see, how do you do that? Right. Um, I, I get a kick out of ancient aliens because it's the way it's presented. It's kind of schmaltzy in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they raise a lot of questions that are in, unanswered. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, and I, I actually watch a fair amount of that um, in clips right now on Facebook. It shows up in my Facebook video feed. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I watch it for a little while. Um, I think that they're asking important questions. And I'm glad that the show is on. Mm-hmm. I know that I know that aliens are real. Uh, I've chased a UFO. Mm-hmm. Uh, why would I think that they only appeared in my time? Why do I think, you know, if they're so advanced, they can travel intergalactically, intragalactically, or intergalactically? Um, they've been coming here for a long time. It's very likely. Um, mm-hmm. Why this planet? Maybe because there's gold here. I don't really know. We won't find that out until they tell us, or we have a conversation with them. But the whole idea that it's always just been us is crazy to me. But I, I, I'm not going to get into the whole genetic, you know, we were planted here by other beings. I don't know. That's not what the evidence here is showing yet. Mm-hmm. It, the evidence here on earth is showing that we evolved until the evidence shows something else, or we have proof. Like they come in and they say like, yeah, we seeded the planet. I'll be like, oh, they seeded the planet. No, um, you know, that's possible. But right now it's not looking like that science in the science. Um, I like the idea that I think they call it panspermia where, you know, when this planet was just basically chemicals that asteroids hit on the Mm -hmm. planet and brought bacteria and other pieces of life that had things start growing. Yes. Alien, alien bacteria for sure. Mm -hmm. That is there. There's evidence for that too. So that's, it just goes to show you that like gold, 
that lands on the surface from meteorites. We've been in, our planet's been interacting with the solar system and beyond the solar system since it's been here. I mean, heck, the moon. The moon is because of a major impact. That's why we have a moon. Um, big, huge protoplanet slammed into another protoplanet and split off a big chunk of it. Um, yeah, we know so little. I think that the I think that the 21st century, maybe I'm hoping, teaches people how little we know. Have you heard of a of an author named Michael Cremo? He wrote a famous book called Forbidden Archaeology. And he shows the exceptions out there and archaeology kind of just sweeps them under the rug because they don't fit with 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 the present narrative that we have. Like there was a I think even somewhere near San Francisco, there's a mine down there and they found something in the mine. So at that level, they're millions of years ago. But like an artifact with with, you know, something that was created by somebody, it's not naturally formed like a marble or something with engravements on it. And um, I, he had agreed to be on the show, and I just kind of never followed up on it because I just didn't think the I had a wide enough audience for him yet. But I'm maybe now you do. Yeah, maybe now I do. But, That'd be something um, I'd be interested in for sure. Yeah, because I have this friend, uh, an acquaintance. He's not really a friend; he's an acquaintance. And actually, he he's the artist who makes these. And his wife's an astronaut, and he's a glass blower. Cool. And when one of the things that they do is they have a small plane, and they make smaller versions of these, and they drop them out the window. So he's flying all over New England um, or anywhere he goes, and he drops them out the window. And the goal is for uh, archaeologists 20,000 years from now to find these marbles. That's what, he, that's what he wants. Um, and so he's thrown out thousands of them, according to my friend, thousands of them all over the place. So I think there's just so much we don't know. Why, why couldn't there possibly be an, an artifact that somebody made at the bottom of a cave that hasn't been opened in a million years? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm running out of time, but I want to talk about you are not church on Sunday. And um, let people know about if they're looking for a place that they want to go that's church and language, but more mystical, maybe would you consider it mystical Christianity or Christian-like? How would you explain what it is? I speak mysticism with a Christian accent is the way I talk about it. Um, And it's the dominant culture. It's the dominant story that people know. And there's, there's mysticism. Mysticism is woven in major religions and minor religions all over the world. There's always been mystics. Most major religions have been founded by mystics. Sikhism, Zoroastrianism, Baha'i, uh, Islam, Christianity, uh, to name a few, all founded by mystics and then become doctrinized and dogmatized and organized. And pretty soon the mysticism is lost. And it, it, it becomes more about what you believe rather than what you experience. And so, not church. I spent 18, almost 20 years as a United Church of Christ congregational pastor after my near-death experience, hiding inside the church so that I could spend my life in meditation uh, and prayer and yoga uh, and study. And then I went into TV, and after TV, I didn't know what I was going to do, and I started not church because it's always been in the back of my head to deconstruct. I do I deconstruct scripture using historical critical analysis, um, and but woven through the eye of my inner eye of my near death experience. I when I I went to Catholic high school, and when I read the Gospels in high school, but when I after I died, 
and I came back when I read the Gospels again, um, Jesus sounds like a near-death experiencer to me. He sounds like the, the language he uses sounds like what I experienced. And so, from that root, I, I aim to help people uh, decolonize themselves from theology and to recolonize themselves with the divine light. Because the, the truth of mysticism is that it's an, it's an experience. It's not a knowledge. That's why it doesn't really matter whether I teach in Christianity or, or Taoism, because the language helps convey the idea to the mind. But really, the, uh, in the same way that Zen Buddhism uses koans and Jesus used parables, it, it, it's when we when we break the mind, when we stop the mind, when we get when we eliminate the the uh, or, or reduce the false self or the egoic mind that we are able to experience the divine directly. And so, not church is a live Sunday morning uh, time when I take uh, primarily a scripture and a Christian scripture, and I deconstruct it from the point of view of near-death experience. So, for instance, uh, one of the times when Jesus says, my burden is light, um, yeah, it's L-I-G-H-T, it's, it's photon, it's light, it's, it's like, it's light, uh, it's not a weight, it's, it's weightless, uh, it's massless, it's the divine self. Um, so, uh, each week I deconstruct something, I get, people ask me to, oh, they have a, I have a question about this, and so they write me a question, and I, almost every week now, it's a, by request. And it's primarily designed for um, ex-Christians, people who are spiritual, who were familiar with the language and the culture, but never satisfied with the divine presence. But underneath this, Jeff, this is really what I've been trying to do. Through After my near-death experience for 40 years, I practiced Kriya Yoga and Centering Prayer um, and uh, to clear myself out, to make myself into a a channel of peace to be able to communicate the message as directly as I possibly can by getting out of the way of it and letting the flow speak for itself. And so I'm trying to create what essentially is a Sangha, a community of mystics who all have or either have had a mystical experience and understand the direct experience of God um, and can bring that forth with them in the presence of each other to create like this big, huge bubble of the divine space. And and the reason why I'm doing that is because I used to go to this monastery, and when I was at the monastery, when the monks were chanting the Gregorian chant at three in the morning, and they became selfless and empty through the process of this corporate chanting, the whole room would become illuminated. And then when I was at the IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies Conferences, when all these near-death experiencers gathered together physically, it's like this huge, big bubble of divine light. It's like walking into a wall of it. It's passing through this wall and inside this, this uh, as Jesus says, where two or three are gathered, I am there. This I amness, this multiplication thing. And so I'm trying to create in non, not church a space to explore this, to, to see whether we can um, see whether in community, in collective, in concentration, in each other's presence, um, Make it bigger inside ourselves. Bring more heaven inside ourselves together and and around us as a group. That's what I'm trying to do in Not Church. Is it on your website or is it on YouTube? 
it's on YouTube, but you can reach it through my website mm-hmm. at peterpanagor.love. It's live there every Sunday morning at 10 Eastern time, mm-hmm. uh, but also at my YouTube channel. That's its primary home. Your YouTube channel is called? Peter Panagor. Peter Panagor. Right. Well, Peter, thank you so much for catching up with me today. It's great seeing you again. I wish you the best. And before you go, can you give us one last positive message? Yeah, love is the key. You don't need to be a spiritual person. You don't need to meditate. You don't need to do any of those things. You just need to love. And you can love your dog or your cat. You can love your mom who's gone. You, it, love is the, it's the treasure of heaven. And, and love brings selflessness and compassion. And these things are the only things that have value on the other side. Thank you for that message. And Peter, thanks again for being my guest. I wish you the best and have a great day up there in Maine. We're going to have a wicked good day up here. Um, (laughs) Yep, wicked good. And thanks for having me, Jeff. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Take care. Peace and love, brother. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.